So this morning, we are continuing our Words of Life series, and these words are from Scripture, and they are words that help us understand this boundless love and grace of our Savior, and then the new life that Jesus calls us to. Pastor Brian Newman will be speaking about the word reconciled. And this is a tough topic in a world uh, where relationships are strained, where nations and neighbors are in conflict. And uh, for most of us, this can be a very personal topic. But we all need this reminder that Jesus came so that we would be reconciled with God, reconciled with each other, Uh, reconciled with the world, and reconciled with ourselves. So Jesus has some words to say about this idea uh, in Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 24. And it Jesus says, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, You shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother and sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar First, go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Then Paul has some words to say about this this idea too in Romans chapter 5, verses 9 through 11. He says, Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Thank you, Jess. Good morning, everybody. All right, I want you to imagine something for a moment. Imagine that it's around the first century, you're Jewish, and you are doing the most important thing that you can do, which is going to a synagogue, which was a small uh, place in the diaspora that was Uh, looked like a bit like the temple in Jerusalem. Or if you lived in Jerusalem, let's just imagine, you were going to the temple. And part of your going to the temple and worship is to give your offering. Now, I want mind you that in order for you to go into the temple, to that area where you would leave your gift, you had to be ceremonially clean. And you can read all about that in the book of Leviticus if you like. But it was a process for you to become ceremonially clean so that on Shabbat, on Friday night or Saturday morning, you could come and you bring your offering. And it was exceedingly important. 
what you were doing in bringing your offering. Everybody get the picture? So Jesus says, okay, you're in that situation. And just as you've done all this preparation and got to this place, you're about to lay your gift at the altar. Something reminds you that a brother, a friend, someone close to you, a fellow Jew has an issue with you, that you're in conflict with them, that you are not reconciled with them. And Jesus says, leave it there. Leave your gift at the altar. Go out. By the way, the second you go out, you are unclean again. And you have to go through the whole process of becoming ceremonially clean again. But it's so important to go out and to reconcile, to be reconciled with that person. And then he says, come back and then give your gift to the altar. Now, to the ears of the first century Jew, you know what they said? This is an extremely important Yiddish word. You are Meshuggah. You are crazy. God, Jesus, you're crazy. I can't do that. That's ridiculous. And that's exactly the point. That's what we're going to talk about today and unpack this whole idea of reconciliation. And it's hard. There's nothing easy about it. It's challenging. It's part of the Bible that we want to sort of slide over or skim over. But we can't. So I want to talk about two things. One is the movement toward reconciliation and the receiving of it. That's one point. The, the moving toward reconciliation and the receiving of it. And then secondly, the cost and the result of reconciliation. Two things, okay? Okay, for those of you who were here last month in September when we uh, did communion together, uh, we asked all of you to get out of your seats and to go and receive communion. And then there was someone there who tore off a piece of bread and handed it to you, and then you received communion. Everybody remember that? If you weren't here, sorry, you missed it, okay? But that's what we did. So listen, if you didn't get out of your seat, you could not receive communion unless you had some kind of physical disability or something, and then we said we would come to you and serve you. But I, I said to everybody, in order for you to receive you must stand up and go. That's exactly what Jesus says. Jesus says, leave your gift at the altar and go. That you have to do something. You have to initiate. You have to move to do something. You cannot be passive at that moment. Now, I would argue that you're moving, you're going, is the work of the Spirit of God, he's called in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. Where, where the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, he nudges us, he pushes us, he brings to mind and heart someone who, with whom we are not right. But we must go. Friends, I, I'm going to pause here for a minute because I know I listen to lots and lots of sermons and sit there for a couple minutes and I go, okay, okay, get on to the next point. I don't want to get on to the next point until we all settle with this a bit. <clears throat> nothing happens in reconciliation until we go. Nothing happens in reconciliation until 
we go until we put ourselves in that place. We must wrestle deeply with God about doing that. And note what it says here. It says go, and then it says be reconciled. It is passive. In other words, it's like communion. We go up, and then somebody hands us a piece of bread, and we receive it. We don't take it, folks. We receive it. It is grace. It is grace lived out. So, so Jesus is saying to people, look, if your brother, your sister, your friend, they have something out for you, they're in conflict with you, then go and, and give God the opportunity to do something supernatural between you, that you would be reconciled. Now, how, how does that happen? Like, what is that, okay, moving toward reconciliation and receiving it? What, is, what does that actually look like? Like, is that even possible? Look, we, we live in a very, very, very fractured world. And if you want to talk on a macro level, the last thing that's happening in the world today is reconciliation. And many of us are just absolutely heartbroken and wrung out about what's happening in, in Israel and the West Bank and Gaza now. I mean, so, so th this isn't sort of like a practice exercise here. We, we don't, don't have a lot of experience or examples in today's world of reconciliation of what Jesus is talking about here. Okay, so how do we move through that? How do we get unstuck? How do we, how do we engage this? How do we look at this scripture that Jesus says and say, okay, God, how does this happen? How, how, how do you do this? See, because all of us here, we want reconciliation. We, we want to go back to the garden in chapter two of, of Genesis, where the man and woman uh, were naked and had no shame. And there was, there was reconciled right relations. We all want it. And it's so elusive for us in so many ways. And that brings us to the second part. So the first part is this idea of moving toward reconciliation and then receiving reconciliation. So we have a part in it, but God has obviously a much greater part in it. And he has to do something through his Holy Spirit that it happens. So what happens? It's what I call the cost and the result of reconciliation. Look, the, the process of reconciliation, what actually happens is, there is this understanding that something is deeply, deeply, deeply broken. That there's an acknowledgement, but the Bible calls it sin. In yours and my life, that there is absolute separation between God and humanity. And then the, not only is there this acknowledgement, but there's this both confession and repentance of it. There's this, yes, us acknowledging that and then us saying, God, I don't want to be like this. And then there is a payment for that sin. And then there's a result of it. So look at, um, in Romans chapter 5, 9 through 11, that Jess just read, there's one verse I want us to listen, listen to very, very carefully and slowly. Verse 10 says this, Romans 5, 10. For if, while we were God's enemies we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, 
will we be saved through his life? Okay, just let that sink in for a minute. I want to say a few things about it. Number one, it says, while we are and were enemies of God. Look, nobody came to church here to be told that you're an enemy of God, right? It's just a little bit insulting. But can we all agree on something? That we human beings have this tendency toward uh, being enemies, adversarial. All right, example, here we go. Uh, You've been around a six-month-old recently? Anybody? Six-month-old. I got one of those grandkids, right? His name's River. River has this ability at six months of age to, ready, manipulate. I mean, the kid is cute as anything. And you know, he'll just smile at you and be like, if you don't give me that bowl of sugar, I'm going to scream my head off. Now, me being the grandfather and being like, I can leave right now, I'll give you that bowl of sugar. (laughs) Now, that's not good for my relationship with my daughter and son-in-law at all. But you get the idea. If you're around a little kid for any amount of time who hasn't had that much time in the world, and maybe they have the best parents in the world, my, I think my daughter and son-in-law are phenomenal parents, what is it about them that they manipulate? What is it? Bad upbringing? I don't think so. Didn't have much time with them. What is that? Well, what it is is that we are separated from God. Our natural tendency is adversarial toward God and toward each other. And that's why Paul points it out right away. It says, for while we were God's enemies, earlier in in Romans, he says, while we were yet sinners, while we were yet sinners, God did something for us. Now look, This is where Christianity stands alone. Judaism and Islam says this. If I do certain things and I say certain prayers and I live certain ways, and if I wear certain shoes like on Yom Kippur with rubber soles and all these different things, then possibly I will have gotten myself to a level of not sort of God's enemy, but maybe God being indifferent to me and then maybe he'll accept me. That's sort of that, that world, that worldview. And, and Paul, who is a rabbi himself in the New Testament, he blows that up. Now, this is a uniquely New Testament concept of this full and complete reconciliation. It's hinted at in the Old Testament, but it, it finds its fulfillment in the New Testament. And here's the central issue that he points out something's got to pay the price of sin. Something has to pay the price of sin. Left to ourselves, we will destroy each other and ourselves. You can think about that on a macro level with Israelis and Hamas right now, but you can think about it on a micro level in our marriages and in our families. We will destroy ourselves. And so Paul says, while we were sinners... Ready? We were reconciled. By the way, it's the same past passive voice as Jesus used. We were reconciled. Jesus says, go and be reconciled. Same verb tense. We were reconciled to God 
through the death of his son. Somebody's got to pay the price. Someone has to pay for your sin and my sin. And Christianity says that's what Jesus does on the cross. And that's why it is central, central to our beliefs and what, what Christianity is all about. There is no Christianity without the Easter story where Jesus goes to a cross and is hung outside the city of Jerusalem, is hung on this cross and he dies this death for you and me. Look, how much does it cost to pay for your sin and my sin? A lot. A lot. As a matter of fact, God has deemed it that his son had to die for you and me. That's the cost. So you tell me about a peace process or anything like that that really wants reconciliation to happen, then I immediately say, where is Jesus in the conversation? And I know that doesn't go very over very well with Muslims and Jews sometimes. But there is no reconciliation between people, between God and people, and between people and people without at least one party saying, you know what, I can't do this on my own. That somebody outside of myself and outside of this conflict has to intervene and make it right. And Paul says that's what Jesus does. Friends, if you're here and you know, you're a doubter, a skeptic, you don't know what you believe, you're just, you kind of feel uh, mixed up or messed up or whatever. Look, this is the core of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That you can't save yourself, I can't save myself, and that God do, has done everything to reconcile you to himself. You must get out of your seat and say, here I am, and then you must receive it as a gift of grace. That is the cost of reconciliation. Nothing less. Nothing less. Last week, uh, Pastor Aaron mentioned uh, Bishop Desmond Tutu, who died two years ago, who was a champion of reconciliation. And the, the world misses him because of that. During the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, during South Africa's, the end of South Africa's apartheid, uh, Tutu said this about reconciliation. Listen to the parts of reconciliation he talked about. He says, true reconciliation is never cheap, for it is based on forgiveness, which is costly. Forgiveness in turn depends on repentance, which has to be based on an acknowledgement of what was done wrong, and therefore a disclosure of the truth. You cannot forgive what you do not know. You see, that's our process with God. And as we go to someone who, need, who has something out for us or whatever, and being reconciled, this is what, the, what it means, what the cost is of reconciliation. There's an acknowledgement on our part that we have sinned and sinned gravely. There's a, a, a confession and a repentance from that. And by the way, that happens over and over and over again. I don't know about you, but this week I've needed to repent multiple, multiple times. I've been a believer for 40 years and I still do that. You bet I do. And by the way, anybody who hangs around with me any amount of time is saying like, amen, I know Brian. 
I mean, we have to be doing that. And then we must receive God's forgiveness over and over and over again. And that happens because Jesus died for you and for me. And then there's one part, one more part of this. I said the cost and the result of reconciliation. The end of of verse 10 of Romans 5 says this. Having been reconciled, past tense, having been reconciled, we are now reconciled. Shall we be saved through his life? Jesus just didn't die. Jesus rose to life again. He was resurrected. And that means that you and I can have life, have life now, can live in reconciled relationships, can reconcile with other people. Not because of our goodness, but because of God's goodness. That's why we never give up on relationships. And it's why if there's, if there's problems in York City with violence and gangs and stuff, we don't give up on that. We engage with it because God is a God of life and of providing reconciliation into those places. That's his promise to you and me, is life, is real life. Okay, I want to end with two really practical things, two steps that we can take. I don't like, I don't like preaching sermons and then it's like, okay, what do I do with this, you know? Like there has to be something that we can kind of live out. Two steps. <clears throat> One is this. Who do you need to move toward? Who, as you have come here today and you're leaving your gift at the altar, you realize that a brother, a sister, somebody, a friend, a neighbor, somebody, especially Jesus is talking specifically about a fellow believer who is upset with you or who has something that something's going on that's not right. Who do you need to move toward? It, it may be your spouse, by the way. It may be a child. Don't, don't think too gravely about this. Don't think too big about this. Who is God asking you to get out of your chair and go to? Not with a, prescri- not with a script. Just to be in their presence and to be with them. To know them. To relate to them. Let me tell you something that happened to me some years ago when I first started attending the police clergy gatherings in this county. You know, there's a group of of, uh, ministers, um, mainly from the Black Ministers Association, who meet with police chiefs every month and talk about what's going on in the world. Well, I went to, one of the first ones I went to, it was actually here, hosted here at Living Word. And it was right after there was a shooting in another part of the country where a young black man was killed by a white police officer. I don't remember which one it was, but it happened three days before this already scheduled meeting of the clergy and police. So I walk in, there are seven, eight police chiefs. They're in their uniforms. They're all armed. They look like police officers who are heavily armed. That's what they are. And they just happen to be, uh, six of seven of them are white officers. One of them was not in uniform. And then there's, I don't know, 15, 20 of us pastors, most of whom are people of color. Uh, many, several of them who I didn't know, many of them I did know. 
And so the conversation got started and one of the, the ministers got up, one of the black ministers, and just kind of just emoted all of this angst that he felt for the last three days about what had happened. It was messy. It was hard. It was unrehearsed. Um, it was directed at some points toward these officers who were sitting there. And I'm sitting there, and I had, I've only been part of the group a few times, and I'm thinking, this is not good. I mean, you could kind of feel the tension in the room. <coughs> and then somebody else got up. And then one of the police chiefs got up and offered words of condolence. And as I sat there for a while, I realized something. These people, first of all, they've been together for a while. And I looked around, and I'm like, these people trust each other so much that they could be raw, that they don't have to hold anything back that they are living in reconciled relationships, even in the midst of the image of these black ministers staring at a white officer who's armed and everything had just happened. And I realized in the moment, that was like this supernatural moment that God made happen over a matter of months and years. Friends, God wants to do that in our lives. He does. He, he wants us to be in positions, in places where he can start that process of reconciliation. But we have to get out of our chairs. We have to take a step. That's number one. Number two is a verse I want to leave with you. It's a simple verse. It's a profound, profound verse. It's 1 Corinthians 4, chapter 4, verse 7. And it's a good verse for us to say to ourselves. 1 Corinthians 4, 7 says this. What do you have that you have not received? What do you have that you have not received as a gift from God? Life's a gift. God gives us the breath that we breathe. And so... Every day, every day this week, I would encourage us, ask this question. What do I have that I have not received from God? Because we've received everything from God that we need. Let's pray together as we continue to worship. Father, um, we acknowledge, we say thank you. Uh, to that statement and that question, what do we have that we have not received? God, we've received everything from you. Life and breath and forgiveness and hope and faith. Everything's a gift from you. And so we, we want to respond. God, we, we want to worship. We want to bow. We want to repent. We want to turn away from sin. Lord, we want to bring all of our questions and doubts and hurts and pains and know that you can handle them. So, Lord, we worship you. We honor you all in the mighty and gentle name of Jesus.